Sarnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25, cuts it inside. Perfect. 35, 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 15, 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to. Nicks is back. Throws it down. Field. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Episode 3 of the Red Cup Auburn Podcast. I'm Noble, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Wheeler. And today we are going to be just kind of going over the rest of the schedule that we didn't break down in the previous episodes. It's been a little, it's been about a week, a little over a week since we last met. You know, life happens to to everybody, but we're back and we are ready to be breaking down the rest of this schedule. And we'll be having two episodes this week since we missed last week's. But with all that being said, I think we can just jump right into it. Um, I believe that the one the the game that we left off on last week was Arkansas. So, Weather, do you want to take it away now? Yeah, the reason Noble says he believes is because literally as we were about to start recording tonight, Noble deleted our entire notes section that we used for the podcast. So, shout out to Noble for trying to make the podcast literally as horrible and as difficult as it could possibly be tonight. In my defense, I did not I'm still going to bring great content. I can never promise if Noble's going to bring great content because, you know, sometimes it just gets a little rough for him. Um... Anyway, moving on to the Arkansas game for Auburn. Um, you know, we've been looking at different games and kind of given whether it'd be a WNL. Uh, Arkansas, you know, won two games last year. And I know that they changed uh, coaches. I know that they have Felipe Franks coming in. But honestly, man, I just don't see Arkansas being that much better. I think – Something that was really interesting to me that I was thinking about when we were looking towards this game was how much does a coach actually affect and how much is it players? Because honestly, since Brett Bielema got there and he changed the system from uh, Petrino, Arkansas just hasn't been a good football team at all. Um, And so I think that even I think Sam Pittman's actually a pretty good football coach, but I just think that the athletes that Arkansas has right now are just really not good football players yeah um I think it'll be interesting because you know like you were saying how much you coaches matter I think that the big thing is how much is Pittman gonna go to being a head coach because we all know you know he's a great offensive line coach that I mean he is a really good offensive line coach but you know not everybody translates to being a head coach I mean if you look at Kevin Steele's coaching record you know we all know how great of a defensive coordinator he is I mean his head coaching record it, it's like nine and 36 something like that it's terrible so like I think I mean it's interesting to see you know what coordinators can translate really well to a head coaching position and then some can't so that's another thing that we have but you know Sam Pittman is not really inheriting a good program like if you look at Gus Malzahn when he inherited Auburn you know it was only one year removed from a a change of style it was three years removed from a national championship he still had talent on that team Uh, if you look at Arkansas they really don't like they just they really don't have good players they've got Rakeem Boyd who's a really good running back but other than that it's 
I mean, it's a, it's slim pickings, you know. Was Rakeem Boyd the guy from Last Chance U? Was he on Last Chance U? I'm pretty sure uh, he was. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, like you're saying, I mean, it doesn't matter how good your coach is. Taking, for instance, Chad Morris, their last coach. Obviously, earlier in past episodes of the podcast, we've really been pumping Chad. I know me personally, I'm really excited about what Chad's going to do for the offense. But he won two games last year. Okay, when he had Deshaun Watson and Sammy Watkins and that whole crew at Clemson, he looked like a magician. You know, so it's all about what kind of players you have. And Sam Pittman actually had a really good recruiting class. They had the 30th ranked recruiting class, which was the highest ranking for an Arkansas class in probably, you know, five or six years. Yeah. So he is going to have a little bit more talent. Obviously, the quarterback is not going to be a train wreck like it's been the past couple of years. Um, I know last year they just – I mean, they were switching guys out midway through the drive. I mean, Arkansas was just a train wreck last year. There was yeah. no good thing that was happening at Arkansas. And I, I know that Gus was able to turn around for Auburn and take us, you know, to the national championship after having a train wreck year. But it is just not not the same. Arkansas is a train wreck. They will continue to be a train wreck. And I don't know that they're going to recover from being a train wreck within the next 10 years. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I just looked it up. Uh, Rakeem Boyd was on Last Chance U to answer your question. But uh, a thing that I think is really interesting about this matchup is the fact that Gus Malzahn just takes his anger out on Arkansas every year. Which is funny because, you know, you know, after the 2017 season, there were a lot of real a lot of real speculation that he was going to go and become the head coach at Arkansas. But it seems like every single year, you know, Auburn fans are all just ter- terribly mad at Gus and he just blows out Arkansas. I mean, in the past, since 2016, Auburn has outscored Arkansas 193 to 36. I mean, it's just no mercy. We scored over 50 points in three of those matchups, two of them being in Fayetteville. I mean, Gus Malzahn just absolutely destroys Arkansas when they've played very recently. So I don't think that this will be too tough of a game, especially it's in Jordan-Hare. I mean, I, I see us winning this game handedly. Yeah, I agree. Gus, for all of his faults, has done very well against Arkansas. You know, I like to call it as it is. I knock the guy a lot. But honestly, when he plays Arkansas, you know, he really does. He steps up. He brings it. Yeah, definitely. So, the next game is kind of the last – it's really the last easy game of the year. And this is against the UMass Minutemen. And we will be playing them in week 10, I believe. And that would be before the juggernaut of LSU and Alabama. So, either what are you thinking about the uh, the mighty Minutemen? As horrible as I just said Arkansas was, <laughs> UMass makes Arkansas look amazing. Okay, guys. Last year, UMass won one football game. One game. That's horrible. They were one of the only teams in the country that had one. I think they were the last team to win a football game last year. This team is terrible. They are absolute garbage. They have the same coach coming back. They, we could roll out anyone. I think that they could take the flag football intramural guys and put them out there against UMass and run them off the field. This team is terrible. It's going to be a fun game. The most random people are going to get to play. It's going to be like a, the A-Day we never had. 
Some strong words from Weather. Weather definitely thinks horrible. When I say horrible, <laughs> Noble, do you want to hear some of their losses last year? I'm looking at their. I know they got whipped by FIU. They lost by 45. Liberty took him to the woodshed. Liberty <laughs> beat him 63 to 21. Where did we find these people? They lost Dude. to Florida International 44 to 0. They lost to Coastal Carolina 62 to 28. Noble, there was not a single good game that these people played. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm their their lone win was a 37 to 29 victory over the Akron Zips. So this may should, be the worst football team that has ever played in Jordan-Hare Stadium, intramural championships included. Co-ed <laughs> intramural championships included. No. There you go. So, okay, the only good thing about UMass Noble, I have this. I have this one fact that I learned that was not just total trash of UMass. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. UMass was the number – was the fourth oldest program in college football. Wow. Can you name the three teams that were older than UMass? Hmm. That's tough. Um, my mind directly goes to either a military school or an Ivy League school because I know back in the day they, you know, would win a lot of national championships. Um, no, I, I don't it know. was not Army who beat them 63-7 to last year. Horrible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get a shot in the dark. I'm going to go Princeton. That is one of them, yes. That is. Okay, uh, Yale? Yes. Harvard? Yes. Wow. Just went Ivy League. Noble. The three Ivy League schools, right after UMass, that's when the military academies come into play. And UMass gotcha. was not called UMass at the time. So for all of you people that go and Google to fact check me and say, Oh, Wheeler, you're wrong. It doesn't say UMass on there. Do your research. Get a life. Learn your facts. UMass was one of the fourth oldest programs. It was on their Wikipedia page, and I didn't put it there. Wheeler's a little tense tonight, but it's all good. But uh, the, also, the, the reason that I knew about all the Ivy League schools, because a couple, a couple weeks ago I did a post about um, – about all the undefeated, about like the best undefeated seasons Auburn had, and I was comparing them to the teams that you know claimed a national championship in those seasons, and all the ones in the early 1900s were all, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton schools like that. But uh, but yeah, so there we go. We've got the the UMass Minutemen, and I think it'll be interesting to see how many players Auburn gets into this game. I think it'll be interesting to try and predict uh, Court Sandberg's stat line. I think we might be able to see a little bit of Kalen Newton under center. So, you know, it'll be it'll be a fun game for for Auburn fans for sure, but not so much for the the mighty mighty Minutemen. Preemptive strike here. Okay. All of you fans that see some running back tear up UMass this year. No, he should not have been playing the entire year. This team is a high school team. They are horrible. You know that if Auburn ends up getting upset by this, this is going to be like on the Paul Feinbaum show. If Auburn loses to UMass, it will be the worst loss in program history, and Gus should be fired on the spot, even if we are undefeated going into that game. I think that if Auburn loses to UMass, Gus will have already been fired at that point because the season, this team, they, I mean, I don't want to use horrible again because I'm just getting repetitive. 
they didn't other they had their one win and other than that i don't know that they were within 35 points of the other team in a single game that's so sad that how is, do you man. do that i don't know maybe maybe football's just not the thing i don't know but with all that being said we're going to move on to our week 11 matchup where it starts getting real tough again the LSU Tigers come to Jordan Hare whether do you want to open up your breakdown of LSU this team is not horrible. Not at all. I I am very frightened about this game. I could potentially see LSU running the table again and winning another national championship. I really do. They've got Bo Pelini coming back as their defensive coordinator. And for all you youngins like Noble, who may or may not remember Bo Pelini, that man was a boss when he was the defensive coordinator at LSU. He went to Nebraska. He didn't do a great job there kind of like a Kevin Steele situation, not a great head coach. This man is a defensive genius, literally a genius. They have Stingley coming back. I'm sure they'll have some other guy that's going to win the Thorpe Award because they're LSU and they just produce Thorpe Award winners like nobody's business. Um, and then their offense, I mean, they have Miles Brennan. Obviously, the offense this year is not going to be nearly – well, it may be nearly. It's not going to be as good as last year's. I don't think we'll ever see an offense do what last year's LSU offense did. Um, not necessarily to Auburn, but just in general. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm thinking LSU, I, obviously, I think they're going to drop off a little bit. But there was so much room for error for them last year on their championship run that, honestly, this game really frightens me. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, Miles Brennan, I don't really, you know, we don't really know what to think of him. You know, he's kind of a bigger guy. He's a, he was a four-star coming in. He's had two years in the program. So, I mean, he's going to know the offense. Um, obviously he's not going to be Joe Burrow, you know, I mean, but Joe Burrow was, I mean, had one of the best, one of the best single seasons a college football player could possibly have. Uh, I think a big thing though with Joe Burrow was that he really wasn't in college you know, because he had already graduated. He was taking one online class, and I believe it was – I mean, it was an it was an easy class, okay? So, he he ate, slept, and breathed football, 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 and I think that really helped him. But, you know, Miles Brennan's not going to be like that. You know, Miles Brennan's actually going to have to take classes. So, I think that's going to hinder him a little bit more. Um, if you look, LSU lost 14, I believe. It was 14 starters to the NFL draft. Granted, one of them was their long snapper. So I feel like they should be able to replace him fairly easily, but you know they're they're gonna lo- they lose a lot of talent. You know they lose a lot of talent, especially on that defense. They kind of lose that name power that they had because last year the defense was kind of inconsistent throughout the year, really tightened up at the end. But you know they lose Patrick or not, not Patrick Queen. Uh, what's his name? Delpit. Grant Delpit. Delpit. They lose Grant, Grant Delpit. They lose Calavon Chison. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he went to the Jaguars, so I'm happy about that. Um, and they lose a couple of guys on the D-line, and they lose a little bit of the offensive line. So, you know, they're going to step back a little bit, I think. I don't think they're going to go to the championship. I think they're going to lose to Alabama at least. Um, and I think we're going to give them a run for their money. I don't know if we'll beat them or not. But – you know, I think that I think LSU is going to be a really good team, but I think that the fact that it's in Jordan Hare, we have a chance. I don't think we would have beaten them if this game was in Death Valley, but I think that since it's in Jordan Hare, you know, we we might get the leg up that we need. Now, do you think that 
so it's not looking like it's going to have full stadiums this fall. Do you think that it's still going to have a home field advantage when it's not crowd noise and it's literally just a change of scenery? I do because I feel like as an athlete, I feel like that that is a thing where it's like sleeping in your own bed, doing your own routine, your own game day routine, and not being on a bus on Friday, staying in a hotel, getting up, going to someone else's stadium, doing your walkthrough in someone else's stadium, and all that. I feel like that's a different thing, and that is something that also contributes to home field advantage that you don't really talk about that much. Um, it's just kind of the routine that the home team has that they have a slight advantage. Before all the smarties, you know, slide into the DMs and say, no, Auburn stays in a hotel. We know they stay in a hotel. What Noble's meaning is it's the same hotel every single game. Exactly. The yes. same routine. Yes. We know the athletes are not staying in South Donahue. But honestly, we don't know with COVID what's going to be happening. We don't know if they're going to be staying in a hotel or if they're going to be staying, you know, in their own bed. In which case it would be their own bed. And That's true. And another thing that people don't really, haven't really been talking about is depth is going to be a huge thing this season, more so than it's been in any other season, possibly in college football history. Because most likely if somebody tests positive for the coronavirus during the season, they're going to have to be quarantined for two weeks. So they're going to miss at least two games. So the backup's going to have to step up. So let's say, you know, Bo Nix gets the coronavirus. He's out for two weeks. So now we're going to have to decide if we want to put in Grant Loy from Bowling Green, if we want to put in Cord Sandberg, the 26-year-old baseball player, Kalen Newton, the Howard transfer, or Khalil Garnett, the three-star quarterback who's going to be coming in this year. So that's the thing. Like, that's, that was another reason why I think a lot of people weren't understanding why we were pursuing free uh, – not free agent, but uh, transfer quarterbacks so much is because, you know, quarterback is the most important position on the football field. And if you lose your starter, you got to have a capable backup. And I think this would have been a really nice year if Joey Gatewood hadn't quit on the team and left Auburn. It would have been really nice to have a backup that, you know, almost was a starter. So – I agree with you, but LSU, random that we're actually talking about them right now, but LSU actually had 30 players right now that Mm -hmm. are in quarantine. So I don't think they have 30 positive tests, but they had like 30 players who had been in enough contact with a positive test that they had to get put into quarantine. So honestly, that's my question, is if these guys are doing workouts from June through – I don't know, the end of August, and you start off with a couple guys that have corona, it's conceivable that by the end of the season, every it, it's like run through the team, you know? Yeah. So that's another interesting thing to watch for some teams. And also, this is going to sound horrible, and I don't think that it would be publicized. Do you think that there are coaches out in college football that would intentionally have their players go to someone's room that has corona so that they could get it and become immune to it? I don't think they would because if that story got out, that would be detrimental. Like, they would get fired on the spot. That would be a terrible thing to happen. But, I mean, a lot of the players don't seem to mind. Like, I I know there there are probably some that are slightly scared of it. But, you know, if you look at Alabama – they were before the coronavirus or before they came back for workouts, they had group workouts of 30 to 40 to 50 players 
all working out, all throwing the ball, you know, doing whatever that wasn't supervised by the coaches. It was all player ran. So, you know, I feel like some players might, you know, I feel like some players might be like, well, this guy has the coronavirus and, you know, the coaches don't know yet. I'm just going to hang out with this guy and maybe I'll get it and be immune and won't have to miss anything. Now, I hope that that won't happen. I hope that, you know, somehow they get a vaccine out before the season starts and all the fans will be in the stadium and it'll be all hunky-dory. But I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. We will. But, yeah, I think LSU, I mean, definitely going to be a solid football team this year. Edo, you know, he's going to have his raging Cajun things. Solid offense. I I think their defense is going to be better this year than it was last year. And so I'm interested to see how a good defensive team holds up in the SEC with a bad offense this year. Because I feel like they're going to be more similar to Auburn was last year, where the defense is just unbelievable and the offense really struggles. Um, but, you know, Miles Brennan, I mean, he's pretty hyped. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, but I, I also think it'll be interesting to see, are they going to stick with the Joe Brady mindset throw the ball all the time, do the run pass option and all that, or are they going to go back to the traditional LSU where you just line up and you just try and run it down their throats and try and run the ball? So, I mean, I think with a guy like Jamar Chase, you're going to be more likely to throw the ball, but, I mean, I don't know. Because they've had good – I mean, they had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry there and they still wanted to run the ball all the time. So, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of offense they stay with. But not everyone can run the – you know what I'm saying? Like, the reason Joe Burrow was the number one overall draft pick is because he was doing things within that offense that a normal dude yeah, could not. that is true. Yeah. I mean, it's like Mike Leach. Mike Leach's quarterbacks – I mean, he's thrown the ball as much as LSU was last year. Actually, probably more. And his quarterbacks don't look as good as Joe Burrow. Yeah. Now, I know he's had some guys that have actually ended up in the NFL. You're Jacksonville Jaguars – Gardner Minshew the Jags they're having a lot of mentions on the show tonight they are I like it it. listeners that don't know Noble is a massive Jags fan why is Noble a massive Jags fan great question (laughs) there's no reason he just picked the Jags yeah I don't know why if you were just picking a team you would pick the Jags but that's what he went with yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice little story of how I ended up with the Jags, but we'll we'll cover that on a different different episode. But today we're just gonna gonna finish up the schedule, and I think we've covered LSU, so we're gonna move on to the Iron Bowl, biggest rivalry in college football. Wheeler, what do you think the Iron Bowl has in store this season? I think that this is the year that Auburn beats Alabama in Tuscaloosa. I know it's been a couple games since then. But honestly, Auburn has not played poorly in a lot of those games. Like, I know the end result has not looked as pretty, but those those scoreboards have been a lot of just last, you know, garbage time touchdowns after the game got out of reach with, you know, a field goal or, you know, they broke the seal on the defense and they give up two quick touchdowns. But honestly, Auburn's really been bringing it to the Iron Bowl, and I think this is the year that they finally break through because, honestly, I think the crowd is not going to be involved as much, and I think it's going to make it a little bit easier to stay uh, tight with Bama up in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, like what you are saying with uh, 2018 and 2016, both of those games were both close at half. I mean, even 20, I mean, 2014 was really a close game throughout the game. 
I mean, yeah. it was it, that was a really competitive game. We had just been able to score at the beginning of the game instead of kicking red zone field goals. But yeah, I mean, those were all competitive. You know, twenty eighteen was I believe seventeen to fourteen at halftime, and then they just blew it wide open in the second half. But uh, I do think it'll be interesting to see. But the biggest thing I'm excited to see about how this game is going to turn out. One, who's going to be starting for Alabama? Uh, for if it'll be Mac Jones or Bryce Young. Uh, before I go on, I just want to. Who do you think will be? Who do you think will be starting in that game? Uh, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. I think you can just look back at recent history with the Jalen and Tua thing. Saban has the mentality of rewarding the people that have been inside the program, and I honestly don't think that Mac Jones is that much worse than uh, his competitor. So I, I think that Mac is the guy. Um, he played pretty well against Auburn. Uh, really, through he threw that one bad interception to Smoke Monday. Uh, the interception to Zacoby McLean was not. I mean, that I was agree. a fluke interception yeah. on his part. So I don't think you know you hold that against him. And then he did really well against uh, Michigan. Yeah, in the bowl game. So yeah, I mean, I I think that. Mac Jones is going to be the guy. I don't think that Bryce Young is going to have enough experience with the team, with all that's going on, uh, that Saban's going to feel comfortable putting him in the game. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think Mac Jones will be the starter. And I know that a lot of – I mean, I've talked to a lot of Alabama fans that think that Bryce Young is God's gift to football. He's going to be, you know, a great player, be the next Trevor Lawrence, and be amazing. But I honestly, I think he's overrated. I really do. He was uh, – he was ranked, I believe, 21st or 20th in the uh, in the draft class. And then when he committed to Alabama, he jumped to sixth. And then when he signed to Alabama, he jumped to the number one player in the class. And, I mean, that was what I like to call the Bama bump because, you know, 24-7 sports especially likes to change some things around when they go to college because they want their – they want their um, their rankings to look good when you look back on them at the NFL draft. And you know schools like Alabama, LSU, they're good at make they're good at producing high level draft picks, and so a lot of the time those guys will go up. Georgia too, those guys will go up when they commit to that school. But and it's yeah, really I'm, frustrating because it it almost feels like that they're targeting Auburn both in football and in basketball because like with all that's been going on, I know in basketball, you know there haven't been camps, there haven't been AAU games, there haven't been high school games. Literally nothing is happening. Somebody will commit to Auburn, and all of a sudden they'll just slide drop, in the yeah. rankings. And I'm like, nothing happened to make anyone else better or to make this guy worse. And yeah, I mean, it it really is disappointing that people undervalue Auburn like that because Auburn's a great school, and we produce plenty of NFL talent. And in basketball, we're starting to produce a lot of NBA talent as well. Yeah, I, I will say I think that Sharif Cooper would have been a top 10 player in the class if he had committed to Kentucky yeah, instead of Auburn. But regardless, we're talking about football now. But uh, another thing I'm really interested to see is if Saban is going to stay with the Tua offense or if he's going to go back to the A.J. McCarron offense. Because, you know, he's got the personnel to run both, I think. I mean, he's got Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. We've, proved, we've, sh- we've seen that Mac Jones can run that system effectively. And, you know, but also he's got Najee Harris in the backfield. That is one of the best backs that's been at Alabama in the decade, or counting last decade, technically. But 
I think it'll be interesting because, you know, Najee Harris is a great back, but then you've got Waddle and Smith as great receivers. And Mac Jones is just kind of a wild card. He's a guy that can, you know, run both systems effectively. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they kind of pick to go to as their bread and butter. Do they like to throw it all the time, especially on first down? Do they like to run it on first down? I think it'll just be interesting to see what they go with. I think that they're probably going to run the ball a little bit more. I think Tua's greatest attribute – I mean, yeah, he he had a great bomb. Like, he could throw a deep pass and drop it on a dime. Like, is a great quarterback. I'm not saying that. But really, where Tua's bread and butter was, was the slant route. I mean, you mm-hmm. listen to all these NFL scouts, and the thing that they loved about Tua the most was the way that he was throwing the slant route. And uh, I think the slant route to them was almost like a running play. So while the stat line didn't show, oh, you know, Alabama's running it this many times per game, they're throwing it. Well, really, he was running it. It's kind of like Gus yeah. in his little, you know, smoke screens where, yeah. okay, yeah, technically it was a pass. You know, when you dump it out to Ryan Davis in the flat, mm-hmm. but the percentage on that throw is the same as really high. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Saban trusts Mac to throw that slant route two guys like Waddle, mm-hmm. um, or if he's just going to say, you know what, when he hands it off to Najee, he can't throw an interception, you know? Yeah. So I think that's really going to – it's going to determine, based off of the short passing game, not necessarily the deep balls on how much he throws, I think. Yeah, I do agree with that. Uh, another thing I'm interested to see is will this be the year – and I like your opinion on this – will this be the year that we see the traditional Bama defense make a return? Because, you know, if you look at the past two to three years, you know, the Alabama offense has been at the top of the NCAA. They've been amazing. But the defense has really slidden back. The defense has not been, you know, top tier in the country. They've kind of – I mean, they in the past couple of years, they haven't even had the best in the SEC. I mean – I think it's interesting that it's almost like they just traded off having an elite offense, but they got rid of an elite defense. Do you think this will be the year that their defense goes back to that elite level that they were at in the early 2000, 2010s? Yeah, I, as of June 23rd, 2020, I think yes. The thing that's really gotten Bama, in my opinion, has been guys on defense – did not want to go to Bama's like I feel like their depth at Bama has not been as good as it used to be Mm -hmm. their starters are still really top-notch guys but a lot of guys were like you know I don't want to go to Bama where I'm not going to be able to play I want to go somewhere where I can play so they've had they've just been decimated by injuries and that's been why their defense has been bad I mean, looking at their linebacker core last year, I think they had four guys that they were projecting as starting linebackers get hurt in the offseason, mm-hmm. just random fluke injuries. So, yeah, I think that if they're able to avoid the fluke injuries this year, I mean, you don't have number one recruiting classes and not have really good athletes. Yeah. Like, as much as I hate Alabama, like, the guys that are starting at Alabama are freak athletes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that this is the year that they step it up I know there was a lot of pressure on in the Bama fan base to get rid of their defensive coordinator after this past year, but uh, Saban seems to trust him, so he kept with him. So I'll be interested to see. But, yeah, I think they're really going to take a step forward. And, and I think I always kind of wondered, and I've been wondering for a little bit, um, were the injuries a – were they all just fluke things? Because, you know, they had – like a lot of them were like, okay – 
that is just super unfortunate. Like Dylan Moses tearing his ACL in a non-contact play. I mean, that's just that is just a very unfortunate thing to happen to a player. But you know, with the amount of injuries that they had, especially on defense, I kind of wondered was it because of their coaching? Like their strength coach was he? Because we all know he was absolutely insane. So I was just kind of like, was it just that he? wasn't doing as good of a job as everyone thought, and that's why these players were getting hurt? Or was it truly just a bunch of fluke things? So what do you think about that? I I think there was a reason why Saban was just fine. See it, crazy man, go home, you know, mm-hmm. and go and yeah. be with Kirby. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily that he got washed up there. I just think – He's not the most – from what I've heard, he's not the most innovative with his workouts. He's a really old-school guy of, like, just lift the heaviest thing you can, pick it up, throw it down, that kind of thing, get as big as you can, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and, yes, I mean, that's good. But I think that a lot of people in college football, and I think Coach Russell's even really gotten into this, is you can be a lot smarter with your training because um, mm-hmm. there's a level of strength where I can't remember the term for those that don't know I graduated in exercise science from Auburn so I've done a lot of hearing you know in sports psychology classes and all of that kind of stuff about strength and conditioning and sports specifically and they were talking about this in one of my classes and they were saying there's a level of strength where you reach your maximum performance mm-hmm. so like we'll use an example if I'm you know squatting 250 pounds I may be able to run up Four five forty, okay. Well, if I push myself and I'm eventually able to, you know, squat two hundred and eighty pounds, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get down to a four four forty. So each person has their own level of like where their strength doesn't need to go any higher because they're not. It's not improving their athletic ability. All it's doing is making their injury risk and their lifts harder or higher. Yeah. So I know that this guy that Bama just hired is huge into that sports science world of seeing each player's thing and going less on the just generalized for everybody and a much more personalized approach. So I think that you may be onto something and that's why Saban went after someone that was kind of known for that. Because yeah, I mean, if you year in and year out are having all these freak uh, soft tissue injuries, like yeah, you got to start looking at like, why are we having all these soft tissue injuries? You know, somebody breaks their femur, like, that yeah. you can't control that with strength mm-hmm. um, to a point. Soft tissue injuries, that's a different story. If you have a bunch of soft tissue injuries, you're doing something wrong in the weight room, most likely. But yeah, yeah. So that was uh that was a good little good little analogy. But another thing I was, you know, just something I was kind of thinking. An, an interesting matchup will be Dylan Moses against whoever ends up starting at running back. So for Auburn, and that'll be, you know, we'll have, we'll have seen a little bit because we're going to be facing a lot of experienced middle linebackers uh, throughout the season. So I personally buy the Iron Bowl. I think Tank's, Tank Bigsby will be the one getting the majority of the carries, the majority of the snaps out of the backfield. And that'll be a huge thing because if you can take the middle line, if your guy is winning his matchup, against a middle linebacker, that's really just going to open everything up. Because a middle linebacker on a defense is usually kind of the quarterback of the defense, kind of controls most of the stuff. If he's getting beat, it opens up a lot of things. So I do think that that's another thing 
that whoever starts at running back is really going to have to perform really well in the Iron Bowl, especially if we want to win that game. Yeah, and I think that's something that we didn't really talk about when we talked about running back earlier in the podcast um, a couple episodes ago. But Auburn hasn't had a running back that was really our first option as a running back or a guy that catches passes out of the backfield that could also block. You know, I mean, Booby had some issues blocking, and so did uh, Cam Martin. And so I'll be interested to see if this group of running backs has the ability to block. I know DJ Williams was actually a pretty good blocker last year. Um, So seeing how Tank blocks, because in high school, you know, stopping a middle linebacker in high school and stopping Dylan Moses, you know, that's two different things. Um, He certainly looks like physically he could do it. But with blocking, it's a lot of a technique thing. It's not necessarily just who's the strongest man, who's the most physical Mm -hmm. freak. You know, it's about leverage. It's about technique. So if he can pick those up, I think that he – I mean, that's definitely something that I think the coaches are going to look at this year is who's able to block for Bo. Yeah, I agree with that. And you look at – I mean, the last time we had a really good blocking back was Carrion Johnson. And Carrion Johnson was a fantastic – running back but if you pair it when he paired it with his blocking ability it just made him so useful and that's why he was on the field just about every play whereas last season even though booby when he was getting carries he was usually doing better than the other guys the reason that we would sub people out was because of the blocking schemes and i feel like a lot of people don't really understand that because they just see it as well when this guy gets the ball this is what happens and they only look at it that way but blocking is one, I mean, I would, I would rather have a running back that could block really well than one that could always catch passes out of the backfield, make a guy miss, you know, stuff like that. Like blocking is a huge thing because that's another thing with protecting your quarterback. You know, like if someone if they blitz and you know your running back's got to pick it up, or if your left tackle or your right tackle get whipped, you know the running back's got to step in and save the quarterback. And you know you really can't win games unless the quarterback is playing well and you can't the quarterback can't play well unless he has enough time and so I think that running back blocking is a huge part of that position so I definitely think that uh Cadillac needs to really be harping on that I agree but yeah so that'll be that's the end of the schedule so we'll be we, uh, we'll be taking follower questions. We'll be answering some follower questions on the pod. We'll be talking about a little bit more basketball because, you know, we've really only been talking about football for the past couple episodes. But, um, yeah, if you all have any questions or comments, feel free to DM the page. Uh, I answer every DM. So just feel free to feel free to shoot the page DM. And thank you all for listening. And War Eagle. War Eagle.